Morning. How are you doing this morning? All right. All right. I know what the polite answer to that question is, right? The polite answer to that question is fine. Doesn't that get exchanged a lot? You come into a place like this and uh, you say, how are you doing? And the answer a lot of times is I'm fine. And then the question gets asked to the other person, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm fine as well. Right? It's the polite answer. It's not always the honest answer, but it's the polite answer. It's a common answer. And I wonder this morning how many honest answers were given to the exchange of that question back and forth. How are you doing? We are among friends. We are among our church family. So if any place we should be able to be honest with that question, it should be here, right? Would you agree with that? This morning, what I'd like to start with as we kick off this new series on emotions, pull out that the paper outline that you have, or if you're using the digital notes on your phone, your tablet, uh, check this out. I'd like you to write down a one-word answer to that question, how are you doing? One word that would define or describe your current emotional state. Maybe it is joy. Maybe it is happiness. Maybe you are excited. Now, I'll allow this. I want one word, but if you want to write down super jazzed, I would allow that. It's kind of, you put a, put a dash in between. We'll call that one word. Maybe you are sad. Maybe you are feeling depressed. Maybe you are feeling afraid or, or anxious. Maybe the word that you would write down is, is irritated or frustrated. Hopefully, I'm not causing you to feel that way right now, but maybe that's how, well, that's maybe the current emotional state that you're in, just a state of anger over whatever recently in your life. Maybe impatient. Maybe your word is content, satisfied. I'm not sure how to put this into one word, uh, but the word love, as far as the emotional, uh, you feel all of the, how about this word, Twitterpated, can we write, is that a word? You feel that as an emotion? Look that one up. If you are online this morning, it's kind of hard to do uh, if you're using the paper notes, but if you're online uh, watching, you might be able to insert an emoji into that, uh, that box on the notes that maybe captures your emotions right now. Here's some uh, examples of all the different... No, go back. Don't do that one yet. <laughs> go back. Don't do that one. I'm going to get to that one. But maybe... <laughs> you blew it now. No. <laughs> Go ahead and go to the next one. Here's an emoji. Like, you see all these emojis. Go to the next one. Uh, go ahead. Go to those. You've seen these emojis, right? I know. So I wanted to show you what my emotions are when I see this emoji. Go to the next one. These are the emotions that I experience when I see the pregnant men emoji. I feel confused, I feel irritated, maybe so far as angry. We, we, we need men to be men, and if we can't agree on basic biology 
in our country that men don't have babies, we are in a lot of trouble, right? So these are some of the emotions that I feel when I see that emoji. You know, I've been, I've been wanting to do uh, a series on emotions for a while because I just feel like, yeah, feel like, right? Pun intended. I, I feel like over the last several years, man, our emotions have been kind of all over the place. Dare I say it's been an emotional few years. Many of us have experienced the pain of losing a loved one. We've all experienced the, what I would call, the emotional roller coaster of all things COVID. The political tension and division over the last several years, let's just be honest, has exaggerated emotions. I don't need to go through a list of examples. You've lived it too. You know. Here's the thing. God has created us to be emotional beings. Nothing wrong with emotions. That's how God has created us. That's how he's designed us to experience emotions. But sometimes those emotions can override rational thinking. Sometimes emotions can override our commitment to love other people. My honest one-word answer to the question, how are you doing? If you're asking me right now, my current emotional state, I would say that my word would be content. I, I, feel, I feel satisfied. I feel, I feel filled. But if I'm being completely honest, my emotions in the last several years especially, like, like everyone else, they've been kind of all over the place. I think that's kind of uh, normal in life. Yes, I believe it has been exaggerated in the last several years just because of the tension that we've all been through. But life's kind of like that. You feel one way in the morning, you experience one emotion in the morning, and by lunch or by evening, you might have gone through several emotional changes. This is something I think that touches all of us in profound ways. And so I was looking for ways to, uh, how would we approach this subject matter? I found this series by, by Pastor Craig Grishel from Life Church and I really like his cool graphics. That video uh, bumper that he has is pretty cool. I like that. But what I really appreciated about how he approached a series on emotions is he focused on a gospel-centered approach to a topic that I think touches all of us in our everyday lives. It's a very, it's a very practical uh, topic. And to, to be able to address it in a gospel-centered way, I just really, really appreciate and connected to. So uh, if, if you want to watch the original series done on Life Church, you can go do that. I'll just say, you know, the, it's like original Coke. It's going to be better. Uh, that, that series from the original, I'm sure, will, will be better. But what I'm hoping will be helpful to you in my version of this series is just learning how to apply uh, God's Word, uh, learning how to live out our mission, to live a Jesus-centered life, applying that mission, that goal, to something as universally practical as our emotion. I'm, I'm hoping that that will be really helpful to us. 
You know, Jesus experienced a full range of emotions just like you and I do. So I want to look at how Jesus dealt with emotions. He experienced them. We'll look at a few of them today. But uh, he experienced a full range of emotions. And if we are going to center our lives on Jesus, if we're going to learn how to follow him and pattern our lives after his example, then we have to include our emotions in that pursuit. If you're wondering, or maybe you're even doubting, did Jesus really experience emotions like we do? I would start with Hebrews 4.15. It'll be on the screen for you. If you want to look it up, that's fine. But Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest. This is talking about Jesus, who is our high priest. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. So if, if, if you take that and turn it around, that statement is saying we do have a high priest Jesus is able to empathize with our weaknesses. We have a high priest who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. The practical then application of that statement, of that, of that reality about who Jesus is, is this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Oftentimes, emotions are connected to our times of need. And we can find help, we can find grace, we can have confidence uh, to go into the presence of God knowing that He gets it, that He understands and can empathize with what we are experiencing. So yes, Jesus is fully divine, but Jesus is also fully human and experienced the full range of human emotion that you and I experience. According to an article that I read in Country Living Magazine, which is my go-to for scholarly information, uh, there, are, there are 27 human emotions. Now, the study that they were referencing was done at Berkeley in California. And I'll just be honest, there's not a whole lot that comes out of Berkeley that I trust. But I went to the actual article. I mean, Country Living's a fun magazine. But I actually went to the, the article, or the study, rather, that Berkeley did. I, I read through a lot of the key points of that. And I think the, the emotions that they identify, they're legit. When I was reading through them, reading some of the emotions, I mean, they kind of fit into categories that you would think of, headings like you know, happiness and sadness and anger. They kind of fit into these big headings. But you know, the 27th they, that they identify were interesting. And, and, and I was thinking, I didn't really realize that there were that many emotions. But then again, you know, we, we raised Hannah, who, who is a uh, music theater major. And uh, so we've seen... We've seen a teenage girl go off and go to hashtag drama school, and so we've, we've experienced, experienced some emotions in our home. I'm hoping she's watching this morning and really likes that. There are a lot of examples of, of Jesus experiencing emotions like you and I do. You know, when, when Jesus 
looked out over Jerusalem and he thought about how many lost people uh, who had no hope were in that city. It tells us in the scripture that he grieved. He experienced an emotion of grieving. When Jesus went to the temple and he saw how they had turned the temple into more of a flea market than it was a place to pray and worship God, whenever he saw how the Pharisees, these religious leaders, were more concerned about uh, their legalistic rules than they were about people, these experiences created the emotion of anger within Jesus. When, when Jesus' friend Lazarus died, remember the story, he, he knew what he was going to do. Right? So he shows up to the funeral. He knows exactly what he intends to do. Like in a few minutes, I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet, as he's walking through this, this group of mourners and has some interaction with several of them, uh, his, his emotion connected to their hearts of sorrow, and he wept. Now get that. He's about to raise this guy from the dead, and yet he allowed himself to feel the emotion of their sorrow to the point where he wept. I think about the emotions that Jesus felt leading up to the crucifixion and during the crucifixion. He was betrayed. Have you ever been betrayed? You know how that feels. He was abandoned by his friends. Do you ever have people that, that you thought would be there when you needed them and they're nowhere around? You know how that feels. He was lied about. He was treated unfairly. He was physically abused, even though he had done nothing to deserve it. You can just imagine the emotions that Jesus experienced through all of that, because in some level, many of us have experienced some of those th same things in life. In the garden, before he, uh, before he was arrested, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. And it says that as he was praying... He sweat drops of blood, and that's a real thing that happens under extreme stress. Have you ever felt stressed out? Jesus understands what that feels like in an extreme sense. He asked God if there was another way to rescue us from our sins. Now, thankfully, he, he surrendered to the Father's will and went to the cross for us. The point that I'm trying to make is that Jesus experienced the full range of human emotion. So we're going to look at how Jesus dealt with emotion. And hopefully we're going to find some ways that we can apply his example to our own experience with emotion in life. So I'm going to ask if you would join me in Luke chapter 7. Would you open your Bibles and join me in Luke chapter 7? I'm going to jump into chapter 7 and verse 11. The first part of that chapter is... is recorded a miracle that, that Jesus did in healing a man. And uh, then we jump into verse 11, where it says that soon after what just had happened in Capernaum, Jesus went with his disciples to a village called Nain. So imagine the disciples, Jesus, they're walking into this, this village, and coming out of the village by the gate, uh, there's this funeral procession. 
a large crowd was following Jesus. They're going in. As they're going in, a funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. Just imagine the scene. The young man who had died was a widow's only son. Don't gloss over the words. Listen carefully. A widow's only son. Do you get it? It's a lot of loss. A large crowd from the village was with her. So uh, an ancient funeral would be a little bit different from what we would experience in that uh, the, the procession through, through the street out towards the, out, out the gate. You have a lot of people, a lot of crowd, and there would be music being played, and there would also be professional mourners. There were people who would get paid to, uh, to weep loudly. It's just part of the cultural experience at a funeral. So you have, it's very loud, and uh, you have a lot of people, and, and, and they're expressing their grief. And that's the scene as they're coming out. And, and Jesus sees this scene. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart was overflowed with compassion. He said to her, don't cry. And then he walked over to the coffin and he touched it. The bears stopped. Now just real quick, you might gloss over that and not think too much about it. We've seen people do that. They walk up to a coffin and they might touch the body or they might touch the, the coffin itself and, and have a moment of reflection or prayer or whatever. Uh, but this was actually uh, out of bounds culturally. To touch the coffin, to touch the body uh, was against uh, the, the Jewish law. That, that would have made Jesus ceremonially unclean. That's, that's what he did. He, he walked over and, and he approaches this woman and he touches the coffin. As he says, young man, I tell you, get up. And the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now, look at the emotion that is felt in the crowd in verse 16. Great fear swept the crowd. We understand that. That's a normal reaction to what they just saw. And then they praise God, also, I think, an appropriate response saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today, and news spread about Jesus throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. If we step into the reality of this story and imagine ourselves being part of this funeral procession for a child with a woman who lost her only son, a woman who's already lost her husband. And we don't know when, we don't know how long ago she lost her husband or how that all happened, but we've got this single mom who's already going through a, a lot in life because economically, financially, it's really, really difficult for a woman without a husband in the ancient world to be able to, to function in, in that uh, you know, financial system. You have this single mom who's already struggling. She's already going through the loss of her husband, and now she's lost her only son. Imagine the emotion that she was experiencing. 
overwhelming grief, unbelievable sorrow. I've led a lot of funerals over 20 years, and the most difficult ones, the most painful ones are the ones where, where a family loses a child. It's just, it's devastating. Sorrow is an emotion that touches all of us. And yes, the most common way that, that sorrow touches our lives, that we experience the emotion of sorrow, is through the loss of a loved one. But there are other sources of sorrow in our lives. I think the loss of a, a pet, and I'm not, I'm not being facetious, I'm serious. The loss of a pet is, is a sorrowful experience. My wife and I have had uh, three dogs in the time that we've been married. And uh, the second dog that we had, I didn't like. Did not get along with that dog at all. And it was the dog's fault, not mine. But when, when it came to the end of that dog's life, and I was the one who had to handle all the end-of-life stuff you have to do at the vet, right? We won't get into it, but... I was the one in the room and had to, to deal with all of that. And it was brutal. I experienced deep sorrow in that moment. I didn't even like that dog. Sorrow is, is an emotion that touches all of us in, in different ways and in different times throughout our lives. And sorrow will often bring up the question... Where is God? Where is God when I am experiencing sorrow? Right? That question gets asked. And maybe maybe it's even a question that you are wrestling with this morning. You're wondering, where is God in my sorrow? If not, if that's not a question that you are wrestling with or or you haven't experienced something like that in life or you've had to walk through that question or try to answer that question, like if things in your life are all blue skies and flying unicorns, I'm just going to ask if you would please don't tune me out as we talk through this emotion because, uh, you know, if, you, if you're sitting here daydreaming about blue skies and flying unicorns, if, if that's what you're doing, there's going to come a day when you're going to walk through sorrow. You don't get through life. It's just not possible. There, you don't get through life and walk through it, and never experience sorrow. It's just not how life works in our broken world. And so even if you don't need to answer that question right now, I'm asking for you uh, to, to listen carefully, because it's way better. It is way better to be able to answer that question before the days of sorrow hit your life and knock the wind out of you Cut open your emotions and, and, and lay them raw. And then try to figure out in the middle of this dark cloud how to answer that question. It's going to be way harder then. The answer to this question, where is God when I experience sorrow, I believe is, is seen and understood and, and answered very clearly in verse 13. Would you go back there with me? Verse 13. You, you know the scene. We're in it. We're imagining it. In verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed 
with compassion. The NIV translates this idea of his compassion. They all say, all the different versions that you have, they all say he saw her. Um, New Living translates it, his heart overflowed with compassion. NIV puts it this way, his heart went out to her. The New American Standard says he felt compassion for her. There's two important things to notice in verse 13. The the first is just this, that he saw her. And what that means is not just that he he saw the scene, that he saw uh, her as part of this, like he saw, it, it means that he noticed her. He noticed her. sometimes easy for us to see things and not notice. My wife will often ask me, did you see, and then she'll fill in the blank with whatever, did you see? And what she means by that is, did you notice? Did you notice? And then she'll fill in the blank with whatever it is that she noticed, because she notices everything. And the answer to that question when she asked, did you see, did you notice, nine times out of ten, my answer would be, nope. I did not see that. Do not pay attention like I probably should. I don't know if you noticed, but last week I had on a pretty loud and vibrant colored shirt. Probably most of you missed it, but just just so you know. No, you didn't miss it? All right. Yeah, that, that shirt was, was hard, hard to miss. But I am amazed at some of the things that people notice. Like right now, you can't see my shoes, but I know there are people in the room who know what shoes I have on right now. You could describe them if I asked you. because You notice stuff like that. I'm amazed sometimes at the things that people will notice and not just see past. Like you see something and you just... When Jesus saw this woman... He didn't just see a funeral procession. He saw her. He noticed her. He noticed this woman experiencing the raw emotion of sorrow. Jesus noticed her. What do we know about God when it comes to our experience of sorrow, our experiences in life. Does God see what we're going through? Does God see what we experience? Does does he notice it? Well, Jesus told us this in Luke 12. Jesus said, are not five sparrows, five small birds, are they not sold for two pennies? Financially, they're, they're not worth a whole lot. And yet, not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, Jesus says, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And his application to that statement is this, so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You are worth more to God than birds. Other places in Scripture, it talks about the flowers in the field and it talks about birds. You are worth more to God than birds and flowers and the hairs on your head, and yet God, if He's going to notice those things which are insignificant compared to what He feels about you, 
then yes, Jesus' point is God notices you. He sees you. God doesn't just see what's going on in your life like someone who's casually watching a movie or casually watching from afar who who is disinterested or distracted. God notices your sorrow. And that's important to understand. And it dovetails nicely into the next thing that we see with, uh, with Jesus' example in verse 13. He, he saw her, he noticed her, and he had overwhelming compassion for her. That's the second thing we need to know about God. He doesn't just notice, he cares. The original word for compassion means, it's, it's in a word that, that, that means deep compassion. The kind that you feel, you know, when your stomach kind of turns and you feel like this unsettled feeling right here, like that's the level of compassion. In fact, for all of my junior high boys, the word compassion literally means our bowels are moved. You're welcome, mom and dad. See, in the ancient world, the bowels were considered the seat of our emotion, the seat of love and pity and compassion. Nowadays, we would say we feel that in our hearts. But I kind of like the ancient definition better because I think it describes how I actually feel when I see what's happening in Ukraine. You see those pictures of these families being displaced. When I see a, a young child abandoned at the border, when I see what's happening in in Africa, where they're starving to death. You see some of these commercials where they're asking for help in different places throughout the world. And I, I see those things. Or, or I see a friend who I know is hurting, who I know is experiencing sorrow. My stomach is unsettled with compassion. God doesn't just notice our sorrow and say, well, that's a shame. Good luck with that. No, God sees you, He notices your sorrow, and He cares. He has compassion towards you. If you believe that, that's what the Bible reveals about God. But if you believe that about the heart of God, then you can experience His peace and His comfort that He's offering. If you don't believe that about God, it's going to be very difficult for you to receive and experience God's comfort and peace in times of sorrow. So we have to wrestle with, do I really believe that God sees me? Do I really believe that God notices me? Do I really believe that God cares? I want you to notice what Jesus did with that compassion. He saw her. He had compassion, this this deep compassion for her. And what did he do with it? Jesus stopped what he was doing. Remember, what was he doing? He was walking into this village. He had a purpose. He wasn't just walking around aimlessly from village to village for no reason. He has a mission to share the truth of the kingdom of God. And he's walking into Nain to do that. But he stopped what he was doing. He redirected his plans and he stepped into this woman's life. He moved towards her and stepped into that moment of sorrow with her. 
And he looked her in the eye and said, don't cry. Then he touched her son. He performed a miracle. He touched this coffin, which again, according to religious law of that day, made him unclean. Here's why I think that's important. Because that may be, in a sense, why some are struggling to believe that God notices you, that God cares about you. Because maybe you look at yourself and you think, who am I that God would give a rip about me? I'm not worthy of God's attention, let alone His compassion. Maybe you see yourself as unclean or undesirable or unlovable. But that's not how God sees you. Jesus sees you, and with with one touch, He can transform your life. He has the power to breathe spiritual life into your spiritually dead soul. Jesus has the power to give you a new heart and to make you a new person. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus sees you, He loves you, and with one touch, He can restore your hope. How do I know that? I know that because Jesus left the glory of heaven. He allowed himself to be tortured and crucified on a cross as a substitute sacrifice for our sin. And then three days later, he defeated death. So if Jesus loves us enough to go through the pain and the agony of the cross for us, if Jesus has the power to defeat sin and death, Certainly, He loves us enough to step into our sorrow. Certainly, He has the power to restore our hope. You ready for the gospel-centered answer to this question? Where is God in my sorrow? Well, the gospel says that we are forgiven of sin and experience the miracle of a transformed life. How? Through faith in Jesus, right? That's the gospel message. Well, then how do we experience comfort and strength and peace in our seasons of sorrow? Same answer, through faith in Jesus. Believing by faith that Jesus sees us in our sorrow and has compassion towards us, that His compassion moves His heart towards us to step into sorrow with us and provide the hope that we need to keep moving. So I'll ask you again, how are you doing? What's your one word? If your one word is sad or some form of sorrow, will you believe that Jesus sees you? Will you believe that Jesus has compassion towards you? Will you believe that the very same Jesus who brought a boy back from the dead with just one touch is the same Jesus who can take your one-word sorrow and transform it into a one-word joy? Will you believe that by faith this morning?